Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery with me, Jody Stevens. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, medical, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. Hey friends, welcome back to Genuine Life Recovery. I'm Jody Stevens. It is part two of Teens and Substance Abuse with Richard Capriola. He is author of the book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. You can find out more about him and his website, helptheaddictedchild.com. Thanks for joining us again, Richard. Talk to me about peer pressure. I want to get into warning signs after that, but when, you ha- when you're when you talking with kids, is, is peer pressure different today? Well, I think it has changed substantially in the last five years, last 10 years, because of social media. And I do a presentation on social media from time to time, and I think it's, it's an area that parents need to be more aware of and more concerned about. Um, because these teenagers are on social media a lot. Uh, They are on not so much Facebook. That tends to be adults more than teens. But they are on things like um, uh, TikTok and Snapchat. And the research that has come out primarily from Facebook has some uh, pretty alarming uh, results of how these social media applications are affecting teenagers, especially teenage girls, in terms of their uh, self-esteem and how they're mm-hmm. looking at themselves. So certainly social media has has its good parts and it has its negative, has its pros and the cons, so to speak. But it but it carries with it uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, ability to influence uh, how teens behave, how they look at themselves, and the peer pressure. So we've sort of added social media as being Mm -hmm. a potential peer pressure point to, you know, kids talking to each other prior to having all of this social media. Social media is another outlet that kids have. And unfortunately, it can also bring about some peer pressure. Uh, But kids are also enticed into using substances by the friends that they're hanging out with. Some kids, some kids get attracted to, to, to trying a substance because they're curious about it. Some just want to try it, see what it feels like. And some because their friends have enticed them and encouraged them to do so. I had a friend whose doctor told her, you know, this was with opioids. If you take this, and you feel like you have arrived. Doesn't matter if it's alcohol, drugs, like you feel like this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. You want to just go clean the house. You're feeling on top of the world that that is a warning sign because that's not a normal reaction. That the rest of the, I don't know, 80% of the population would be like, I don't like this. I just want to go to sleep. I can't wait till this is done. And so, and, and so for me, every addictive substance, I had that this is an amazing feeling thing. And I feel like if more kids understood that, like you may have a proclivity, a genetic proclivity, you may have an addicted brain, watch out for how you feel. Do you think that's an important thing for teens or do you think they even care? Would we even be open to a message like that? Well, 
they're like adults. They like to have pleasurable feelings. Mm -hmm. They're also like adults in that um, anytime they experience what I call an intolerable thought or an intolerable feeling or an intolerable memory, we're not built to just sit with those intolerable emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to get rid of them. And, yeah. and, and the quickest way to get rid of them, unfortunately, uh, is often through some type of substance. So that when a teenager or an adult finds that substance that gives them the immediate relief from the intolerable thought, memory, or whatever, uh, they find out it works, then they're almost conditioned, pre-wired, wired, so to speak, to be able to go back to that substance every time yeah. they have these uncomfortable thoughts or feelings or memories. So it sort of reinforces itself. And then when, when we have what's called uh, a tolerance increase, we start to find out that, you know, we need more and more and more of the substance to get the feeling that we want because our brain and our body is adjusting to it and demanding that we get more of it to get that pleasurable feeling. And then before we know it, we're headed off into uh, a, a dependency mode where we, where we begin to really depend on the substance to get us out of that intolerable thought, feeling, or memory. And they say it hijacks what's called the reward pathway and really what that means. And I can relate to this. Prior to stopping drinking, there was a point where I felt almost like I was drinking beyond my will or that if I didn't drink that thing or eat that thing, that I might die. And so a lot of times, it, you know, I mean, our brain gets flooded, right, with these chemicals, dopamine, whatever, and we think, and that's that's what causes us to eat and reproduce and do all those things. So I feel like, you know, that's a huge challenge, too, especially for the young brain developing. And you kind of think, if I don't get this, if I don't get this substance, I might die. And, and that we that we typically see with people who, who have developed a, a, a severe dependency, uh, mm -hmm. what we would call a substance use disorder that is right. in the severe category. What we used to call dependency. We used to ca categorize these as abuse and dependency. Well, a lot of teenagers uh, and a lot of people just abuse a substance. They don't right. become dependent on it. But once a person crosses that line and they become dependent on a substance, then we start to see severe withdrawal symptoms. And really, mm -hmm. it, it can get to the point where a person will feel as if if they don't have this substance, they're going to die. They need yeah. this substance to live. Uh, fortunately, I've not seen very many adolescents who have crossed that line and gotten into that severe dependency. Most of the adolescents that I've worked with have, have certainly been uh, on the abuse side. They have mm -hmm. what we call a substance abuse disorder that is either mild or moderate. Some of them have a severe one. Um, but, but definitely when you cross that line and you become heavily dependent on a substance, it, it can become life-threatening and you really do feel like you need that substance uh, to live. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I, we, ugh, before my brother passed, I mean, all kinds of in and out of detox and, you know, we'd have to actually have to give him alcohol just to stabilize him so he wouldn't yeah. seizure. And right. so, yeah, oh, man, oh, man. Um, talk to me about the warning signs. So if I'm a mom and I'm thinking, you know, I want to make sure that my kid doesn't fall into an addiction or that I'm having some 
concerns about my child's behavior? What are some warning signs of addiction and maybe other problems later in life? So in my book, there's warning signs for a child that might be using marijuana. I have warning signs for a child that might be drinking alcohol. I also put in warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder Mm -hmm. and a child that might be self-harming themselves. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, not always, but sometimes a child will be uh, developing an eating disorder or they will be self-injuring themselves in addition to using a substance. I had Mm -hmm. young teenage girls, for example, who were smoking a lot of marijuana, but they were also cutting on themselves. So I wanted parents to know what those warning signs were too. Um, So I would encourage anyone to, you know, take, get a copy of the book, learn what the warning signs are. Also, as a general rule, uh, as a general rule, what I say to parents is pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. So pay attention to the changes that you see. Don't assume that those changes are just normal adolescent acting out behaviors. They may very well be that, but they may be also an indication of something else going underneath, going on underneath the surface. Some examples would be a child whose grades are declining, a mm-hmm. child who's getting into disciplinary problems, a child who used to participate in and enjoy extracurricular activities or sports, no longer is interested or enjoys participating in those activities. Um, a, 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 a child who uh, used to introduce their friends to you. You knew who their friends were. You might have even known who uh, some of their family members were. Now becomes very secretive of who their friends are and becomes very secretive about where they've been. Uh, so these are some warning signs that you can pay attention to. Changes in your child, changes in their behavior, changes in their attitude. If these changes sort of come and go fairly quickly, it's probably not too concerning. But if they linger on and then you begin to see more more and more and more of these changes, then I think it's wise to get some professional assessments done so that you can either rule in or rule out whether or not there's some additional, some issues that need to be addressed. And what are some early prevention strategies? Because we know a lot of these issues come from poor communication skills or cutting can be a result of trauma or not being able yeah. to feel anything. Right? We want to feel something. So yeah. we cut ourselves and now we feel something. And so a lot of these are indications of maybe deeper problems, like you said, co-occurring. But, you know, a lot of times they're problems, unfortunately, with the, with the parents or with the family dynamic, right? So right. Uh, as parents, what can we do early on? to prevent some of these things from happening. In my working with teenagers, it didn't do me any good to tell them that the drugs were illegal. It didn't do me any good to tell them if they continued using a drug that they may not graduate from high school or get into college or get a job. Mm -hmm. Um, they They didn't believe any of that. So what did work? Well, what worked was a neuroscience approach. Because these kids, teenagers, generally are very curious. They want to learn things. They want to know about things. So when I turned the discussion to uh, the neuroscience, uh, how the brain works, uh, how drugs work in the brain, 
they became very interested in that. They wanted to know more about how their brain worked and how drugs worked in the brain. So I would show them a picture of the brain and the different areas of the brain so that they could see that we have an area of the brain that helps us talk. We have an area of the brain that helps us walk. Uh, and we have areas that help us um, reason through things. So they could see different areas of the brain and what those areas were responsible for. Then I showed them a picture of where marijuana attached itself to the brain. And they mm -hmm. could see that marijuana was all over the brain. They saw how it affected areas of speech. They saw how it affected areas of, of balance and, and motivation and short-term memory. They were able to see for themselves how this drug worked in the brain, how it attached itself to the brain. So one thing parents can do is um, at an early age, start to educate their child on how the brain works. You know, say elementary school, uh, teach them about the brain. Don't talk to them about drugs. Talk to them about the brain. Teach them about the brain so that they know what the brain does and how important it is to protect the brain. And then as they move into middle school and high school, you can start to introduce how drugs work in the brain. So I think that's one thing parents can do. The other thing that I think is important is to develop a good, solid relationship with that child. Mm -hmm. um, I have this in my book, but when we ask teenagers, what is it that keeps you from talking to your parents about things that are bothering you? Uh, the number one answer that comes back is a fear of being judged. Teenagers oh. are afraid of being judged, especially by their parents. Yeah. So what I say to parents is learn communication skills so that you can uh, better communicate with your child. And what I mean by that is we're pretty good at listening to each other's words so that when we're talking to each other's, we, we hear the words pretty good, but we're not so good at hearing the feelings behind those words. And that's a, right. that's a skill that every parent can practice and every parent can learn so that when you're talking to your child, you're not just hearing the words, you're hearing the feelings behind those words. Mm, I love that. That's so good. Also, what about, you know, choices, teaching kids to make choices, self-efficacy, the, the belief that they can do something? Those were things that, for me personally, led me into addiction because I didn't, for various reasons, believe that I had any choices. That's just the way I was. And I had to really realize through my recovery that I actually could impact the world around me. It's kind of a strange concept to people that don't understand that. Um, but coming to that place of believing that I had the capacity to do something was huge because my mother had a, an alcoholic father who was abusive and she suffered a lot of trauma. And so there was just kind of a lot of this sort of victim mentality where things were just, they just happened out of our control, right? And so that's sort of the environment that I came from. And I just, I in me personally working with people struggling with addiction, I found this self-efficacy in this belief that people, you know, that life just didn't happen out of their control. Or you know what I mean? I found that to be a huge root problem. 
Yeah, and and I think I think that's a challenge for parents to to, to instill within their child uh, the fact that you know they do have choices, they can mm-hmm. make good decisions, and to learn how to make those decisions. Um, and and then in addition to that, to develop the kind of relationship that the child will feel comfortable turning to you as a parent for advice, so that mm-hmm. when they struggle with something, they can trust that that you will be there, not not judging them, but that they can that they can rely on you for some advice. Um, you know, some kids just think that they can accomplish anything. You know, at that age, you know, yeah. they feel like they can do anything. They're, they're, uh, you know, they're they're not vulnerable. <laughs> they're invulnerable, and I think that can be a little bit dangerous too. Um, so it's a fine line that a parent has to walk in terms of being able to help their child learn to make good, healthy decisions, and 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 what they're capable of doing and not doing. What about kids who have experienced trauma? Do you treat a lot of children that have been through trauma? I wouldn't say it's a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I have, uh, in my experience, I have seen a lot of uh, teenagers who um, have been suffering from anxiety. You know, most of the kids I worked with who were smoking marijuana told me that they did so to because it helped with their anxiety. Um, I have uh, seen kids who have struggled with depression, uh, and I've seen some that have unfortunately been a victim of some type of abuse, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe been bullied at school. Um, And then there's a category of of teenagers that are developing an emerging personality disorder. Uh, And, you know, it might be an oppositional defiant personality disorder or an emerging schizophrenia disorder. Uh, And they have used a a drug to medicate those intolerable feelings. So it just, again, points to the fact that um, if a child is using a substance, we can't just focus on the substance. We have to do a comprehensive assessment to see if there's any underlying psychological reasons that that child might be uh, might be subject to. You know, the kids that came into Menninger Clinic, none of them wanted to be there because it's a psychiatric hospital. Mm-hmm. But it, it had gotten to the point where the parents felt as if there was no other option. They had to admit their child to 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 uh, to the hospital. They knew they they generally knew about the substance use, um, but I think what was more disturbing to them many times was to learn that their child had a severe psychiatric disorder. I think that in many cases that was more troubling than knowing that their child had a substance abuse disorder. Knowing that their child had, you mm. know, a, a psychiatric disorder such as an emerging personality disorder or perhaps an emerging schizophrenic disorder, that's devastating to a family. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's totally true. Well, let's talk briefly before I let you go about, I mean, we kind of covered just sort of options for treatment, but what are maybe some first steps that a parent would take if they're suspecting either, you know, drug or alcohol use disorder or possibly something deeper? I, I think the first step you do, the first thing you do is have a discussion with your child. 
And mm -hmm. by that, I mean, you don't, you don't accuse the child of using a substance. You don't threaten them. You don't punish them. Shame, you, blame them, right? E exactly. You want to come at this discussion from an inquiring point of view. In other words, I'm observing these behaviors. I'm noticing this. I'm seeing this. Can you help me understand what I'm seeing? So you invite the child to participate in a discussion reacting to what you're sharing with them. You know, I'm seeing these behaviors from you. I'm concerned about you doing this. Can you help me understand why I might be concerned? That's a discussion that's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to blow up and the child's going to become argumentative and defensive, or it may go the other way and you learn some things you didn't know before. But regardless of how that discussion goes, if you're still concerned as a parent, you need to move to the next step, which is to get the assessments that I recommend in my book. You need to get an addictions assessment to rule in or rule out if alcohol or drugs are a problem. You need to get a psychological assessment to rule in or rule out if there's any psychological issues your child might be dealing with. So you need to rely on the professionals to give you the assessments, to do the testing, to give you the diagnosis, and ultimately to give you recommendations on what you should be doing. Because as parents, we're not experts necessarily. Parents are not experts on all of this. So they have to rely on the professionals, you know, the psychologist, the psychiatrist, the social workers, the family therapist, anybody that can help them get a better understanding of what's going on with their child and give them some solid recommendations on what should be done. And if necessary, develop a treatment plan and develop what kind of treatments are best for your child. That's great advice. And they shouldn't be ashamed. I think that's an issue. Um, you know, the reason yeah. people are psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers is because the, the, this is our job. Right. And so but so many parents like there's just this shame. They're trying to keep everything hush, hush. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, talk to me about that, about just like, you know, it's OK. It's it's we all have problems. We all need help sometimes, you know. That is such an important issue, Jody, um, because unfortunately, uh, oftentimes the focus is on the child. That's right. going What's this. wrong with Johnny? He's got all these problems and you're kind of like, yeah. yeah, I think maybe there's a little more to the story, mom, and, dad. And, and what gets overlooked, unfortunately, many times is the parent is going through their own crisis. The mm, parent is yeah. suffering. The parent is going through this range of emotions, which goes from how did I miss the warning signs? What went wrong? How did this happen to my kid? How did this happen to my family? What is everybody thinking about us now? Right. And they start to get these range of emotions that are all very normal, but also very intense. So what I say to parents is, if you're going through this with your child, build yourself a support system. You know, maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's a community, maybe it's a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a social workers, uh, maybe it's a support group from your mental health association, but build a support system around you because this is going to be a journey. Going through this with your child is going to be a journey and you're going to need and you deserve to have a good support system, a support system around you so that you have the support that you need and deserve. 
Awesome. Great information. Great chatting with you, Richard. Richard Capriola, the book is The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance. Let people know, Richard, how they can get in touch with you, your um, assessment guide, the book, all those sorts of things. I would recommend that they go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com helptheaddictedchild.com. When they go to that website, there are some uh, blog articles they may find interesting on adolescent substance abuse and mental health. Uh, There's actually a checklist of uh, 10 really easy questions they can ask their child to to check in on their mental health. I got that from uh, Newport Academy. Um, And um, there's also information on the book. There's information on a workbook that I developed for parents, and they can can read about both the book and the workbook. They can read a sample chapter. They can read endorsements. They can read book reviews. And there's a link that will take them directly uh, straight to Amazon, where they can order the book as either a Kindle or as a paperback. Awesome. Great stuff, Richard. Great information. Fun to have you on the program. And friends, I hope this was informative. Richard, thanks for being here. Thank you, Jody. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me for your thoughtful comments and observations. And thank you for helping me to reach out to people about this important topic. So thank you. Absolutely. And by the way, friends, share this show with anybody you know struggling with addiction or other mental health challenges. You can share it on social and you can also listen. We're on most apps, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or your favorite listening app. And you can also listen by clicking podcast on my website, which is jodystevens.org, J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. So thanks, friends, for being here. And we will talk to you next time.